Today, we continue a series that we have entitled, Becoming Who You Are, and we're making our way through a New Testament letter called Ephesians, and I just want to give parents a little bit of a heads up as we get started here. Today, we got some content that is a little PG-13. I mean, we're never going to seek to be inappropriate here, but we just want to make sure you have the opportunity to get your kids where they're not going to be talking about some of those things today, and you might find that a little bit safer for them. But in the first half of this letter, the Apostle Paul has just kind of layered one statement on top of the other about who God is and what he has done. That God showed up when you were dead in your sins. What can a dead person do? And the answer is nothing. But then God showed up and like did spiritual CPR and he took us from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light. Another image was you and I were on the slave market of sin and Jesus showed up as the king of the universe and paid not just to free us and set us free to ourselves, but actually free to follow him. And image after image, Paul says he did it. All the action is attributed to God. All the receiving is on our side. And there are many folks then, and I think also now, who would say, Paul, you keep talking about grace and love. When are you going to talk about the real stuff? And he says, oh, it's coming. And today we're going to see some of that. But it begins with God's love and grace and power. And now, in the second half of this letter, the Apostle Paul turns his attention to that phrase that we saw on the screen a minute ago, to live a life worthy of the calling that we have in a relationship with him. That can literally be translated, respond accordingly. Respond in a way that matches what God has done for you. And today, Paul's going to get real specific about some things that do not match who God is, that do not fit in the life of those who have put hope and trust in him. And I think one of the, you know, real important questions that we might have is what are the things that need to change? And Paul's going to help us with some specifics. And then also, how do we do that? And the need for change and the struggle with some of the issues is something that we face in our day. But I got to tell you, the cultures have changed and the times have changed, but the heart of humanity has not. So let me begin with this. Um, not that long ago, Time Magazine came out with an article called The Science of Addiction. And some of the things in that study, the uh, definition of addiction, they call it this, chronic relapsing behavior in the face of negative consequences, the overwhelming urge to continue something you know is bad for you. Anybody ever willing to admit, yeah, I think I've done that. I knew it was bad for me, but I did it anyway. Every Raider fan can relate. You cheered again, <laughs> and it's not going to be good for you, but you go back. Um, but I think we all know that in a serious way. Um, it also talked about alcohol and drug addiction now um, relates to one in eight Americans. That's staggering. Um, gambling, you know, which is something that is highly promoted. It's ironic to me that whenever you're watching a game of some kind, and I've been known to watch a game or two, that um, there will come during the commercial times um, gambling commercials. 
And then at the end of the gambling commercial, it says, but if you have a problem with it, call this number and we'll help you out. It's like, you're telling people to do it and then you're helping them get out of it. I don't know, it's very strange. In fact, not that long ago, I said to my wife, I'll bet you 50 bucks <laughs> that in this next commercial break, there's gonna be a gambling commercial and I won 50 bucks, so there you go. Um, sex addiction, second only right now in America to drug addiction. And the Mayo Clinic said this, pornography, quote, pornography is now well-established as the vehicle for sexual addiction. That is not a pastor preaching a sermon. That's the Mayo Clinic saying, we know that this is true. And if at this point you're saying, that's right, pastor, alcohol and drugs and gambling and sex, preach it. Hold on a second, because the article also talks about shopping addiction. You ever go to Costco for milk? <laughs> and you go home with 18 t-shirts and 29 pounds of chopped meat and four extra kids, you know, and you spend $180 and forgot the milk. Um, that's normal, but there is this release of dopamine that happens down that road. Food addiction, and this study says it may be more addictive than drugs. In fact, it says this, quote, Oreos light up the dopamine neurons more than cocaine. They didn't talk about double stuff, which I'm very happy about that because <laughs> that could be my drug of choice. Um, it also talked about anger, and they reference a Psychology Today article that anger can lead to similar dopamine rushes as gambling, cocaine, and meth. And I think we know this. You ever gotten angry, and man, you felt good, and you felt alive, and you felt, you know, like you were empowered. And there's something we get out of that. The Atlantic magazine um, says this also about screen addictions. Yay, we got a new one. It says, just about all of us have a digital drug of choice, and it probably involves using a smartphone, the equivalent of a hypodermic needle for a wired generation. Why start with that? Because the issues involved in this, and there's our definition of addiction, we may refer to them with new terminology in our day, but I'll assure you that they've been around for a long time. And we're going to see that in what the Apostle Paul addresses today, because he's going to get specific, and some of these specifics are alive and well in this day. But I think it's really important for us to understand what needs to change, and especially in light of being in a relationship with God by putting our faith and trust in Jesus. What needs to change? And last week we looked at how Paul said, there's some old clothes that need to be taken off. That's who we are in and of ourselves. There's some new clothes we need to put on that our appearance, our life needs to reflect the new spiritual address we have with God. And then maybe even the more important question, well, how? Because maybe we know it should change. Some things need to change. How does that happen? So let's jump in. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, which links it to everything that's come before. Therefore, be imitators of God 
act, speak, think, be motivated more and more like God. Well, okay, where does that come from? Is this an or else? And look at what Paul tells us. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Where did he begin the whole letter? With the love and the grace and the power of God that shows up. Respond. Let your motivation of imitating God be born because God first loved you and now we are called to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice of God. He's going to talk about some tough issues. But before he does, he's talking about remember who God is and what he's done for you. Let your response be motivated by love because of the love that you have received. And now he's going to talk about four abuses, four behaviors that are not part of imitating God. So let's take a look at each one of these. Here's the first one is abusing sex. And the word abusing there is really important because in a church context, when there is some negativity cast on the arena of our sexuality, it often goes like this. Yeah, I kind of know the church is against sex and therefore they think that God is against sex. Can we just, you know, be clear? Sex was God's idea at the beginning, right? It was his idea and God is pro-sex, waiting for my wife to applaud. No, I... I'm in big trouble when I get home. So abusing sex, because there are ways in which that can be turned from something that was God's idea into something that can be so harmful. And I don't think I need to convince anybody that there can be harm down that road. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Saints are people who put their faith and trust in Jesus. The phrase sexual immorality, it's two words in the English language. It's one in the language in which it was written, and it is the word by which I think you know where we get this word from. It's the word porneia. Now, in our context, pornography refers to one specific thing. But the word in 2,000 years ago was a broad term that refers to sexual activity outside of the covenant relationship called marriage between a husband and a wife. Now, you may say, man, does that sound out of touch with the times today? But I got to tell you, if it sounds strange today, you know when it was even more strange? then when it was written. Because these words were not written into Victorian England, they were written into the Roman Empire where there weren't some boundaries even that we might have in our day of all kinds of abuses. So what is sexual immorality referring to? It's a broad term. Pornography, what is that sexual immorality? Having an affair on my spouse, sexual immorality, sleeping with or living with somebody to whom I am not married, sexual immorality. It is all kinds of sexual activity outside of a covenant relationship called marriage. 
And then there's another broad term called impurity here, and it refers to many different ways in which sexuality has a place that does not belong. It does not imitate the God that we follow. One example of that, I just heard this this last week, and it troubled me. A lady said, you know, the last four weeks, I've had men make sexually inappropriate comments to me at church here. And can I just say, not cool. And there is something called church discipline, where part of what we do is to protect people, and that's one way to experience it. But see, here's the thing, because, you know, okay, now I get it, it's going to be, you know, these tight walls and condemnation, but here's the thing, everybody is welcome to come as you are. You can bring your brokenness, but we will never affirm something that the Bible does not affirm. And when it comes to helping people through some of these issues, that is what we are here for. And I'll give you one real life example where we've encountered people who were living together before marriage and we talked about that and we helped them to live separately until they got married. Look, we're not here to just tell you you better or else or to condemn you and write you off. We're here to help people meet and follow Jesus. And so the things that the Bible calls out, we're going to call them out. But we're also going to help people to move forward in their relationship with God. So what doesn't imitate the God that we've come to honor and worship today? Abusing sex. Well, now that we're all uncomfortable, let's talk about <laughs> another one, and that is abusing stuff. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, and that sounds so... Victorian and sounds so out of date. What does that mean? It refers to the ongoing lust for more and more and more. And here's the beauty and the genius of the Bible. It doesn't come to this by saying, and you know what? Here's the maximum amount that you could ever make because it isn't about that. It is about an attitude of the heart that says, even if I make this, I want more. You know, there is in our history... A guy named John D. Rockefeller. Here's a picture of him at 88 years old when he was still working 70 to 80 hour weeks. He was the richest guy in the world at the time. And they asked him in a famous interview as if he would be the one who could tell us and would know the answer to this question. Mr. Rockefeller, how much is enough? And his answer is classic. Just a little bit more. And that is what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. And I think when we talked about sexuality, there might be some more conservative people who go, yeah, that's right. And I think when we talk about greed and the lust for more, there are probably some liberal people who go, that's right. The Bible is an equal opportunity offender. And there are some things that we're all going to wrestle with and struggle with and go, well, I'm not so sure about that. We're just pointing in the direction of what Paul said were issues then, and I still think we understand that they are issues today. So here's another one that he mentions, abusing speech. Let there be no filthiness. We could also translate that obscenity, profanity, right? Cussing. That that does not imitate 
you know, the God that we follow. Nor foolish talk, that is a great phrase. And actually, again, it's two words in our language. It's one word where two words were put together, morologia. And we get our word moron from moro, and logia is word. No moronic talk or moronic words. And there's a lot of stuff that doesn't really benefit much of anything. It's just foolish. Nor crude joking. And this doesn't mean don't have a sense of humor. It means that things are not laden with innuendo that is suggestive or making other people feel uncomfortable. That does not imitate God, which are out of place. They do not belong when you're following the God of the Bible, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Then he did those in a row. Now we're going to jump down a little bit later in the section because it doesn't follow right on the heels of those, but it's in verse 18, and it's abusing substances. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And when I think about my own journey, this marks part of my journey and a struggle in my life. And when it talks about wine here, I think we can understand they didn't know everything that we know and have all the opportunities to have different substances in, this, in their lives then. But they had this, and this is an issue of control, of what controls you. And alcohol and many other drugs, what they do is they suppress a certain part of our brain and our understanding, and we often do it to escape, right? Because it just narrows our focus and takes a lot of those problems away. But if you've ever dealt with this issue, you know that as soon as you wake up the next day, those problems are still there, only now you got a killer headache. And what it does is point us to being controlled by the Spirit of God, by God the Holy Spirit. Because that doesn't deaden our senses and temporarily take away our problems. Instead, it helps us focus on our resources which is the power and the presence of God who longs to transform us. So, sexuality, our speech, our stuff, and substances. Yeah, people haven't changed that much over the last 2,000 years. And then Paul makes this statement. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater. Idolatry, we often think that's, you know, bowing down in front of a wooden statue and maybe that's one form of it. But what it literally means is that we look to, we trust in, we find our ultimate source of meaning and value in something other than God. And who has never done that at one point in their life? has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And we go, what? Because in our honest moments, we would probably say, yeah, I know a thing or two about those things. So what is Paul saying? He writes this in a verb tense that has the idea that if these are the ongoing markers of your life, we really need to try to understand where we are in a relationship with God. Because maybe we're spiritual, but maybe it's never become personal. And this is not focusing on perfection in these areas because this side of heaven, none of us is ever going to reach perfection. It's talking about a change of direction in our lives. And Paul writes these words in a context where there were two huge threats to people who were seeking to follow Jesus in that culture. The first threat is something called license. 
that you can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. In fact, the more that you sin, the more it focuses on God's grace. Isn't that awesome? So you go for it and, you know, followers gone wild, you just kind of go whole hog and then you turn to God for grace and then isn't that great? And Paul says, that's not how it works. And so there were actually people teaching that, that the more you sin, the better it is. And Paul's saying, hey, if there is not a change of direction, we really need to wrestle with where we stand before a holy God because there will be a change of direction because a new life has showed up. You don't live at the same spiritual address anymore. Look at these verses that he includes. Let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. And he's talking about false teachers and there were influencers 2,000 years ago who were taking people in that direction of saying, you can do whatever you want and the grace of God is just gonna be there and you will magnify it all the more. And Paul says, don't fall for that. Nowadays, if you want someone to lead you in a direction where anything goes, you can probably find that online. But these words still stand, that there are some empty words out there. And instead, by leaning into God, we can find words that are not empty, but are full. Full of ways that we can imitate the God who has showed up in his grace. And then if license isn't great, right, do whatever you want, there's another extreme that we can go to. And my guess is there are people in this room, myself included, who have experienced a measure of this, and it's called legalism, which is the opposite of that, which means defining somebody as a follower of Jesus goes like this, absolute perfect obedience to the law of God. And many times we'll break that down into every last specific and I grew up in a place, an environment, once upon a time, where they said, no hats in church. And so I took off my Dallas Cowboy hat <laughs> and wasn't sure why. But I can tell you this, the Bible doesn't talk about that specific thing, right? And that is part of the beauty of the Bible is that there's these extremes and we're called to live somewhere in between. And so much of the New Testament is written against the very idea of legalism, which defines it as absolute obedience. And some of you felt the burden of one rule after another that felt so hypocritical. And you walked away from it. And I'm sorry that you experienced that because there's something in between there that brings life and helps us move forward in our relationship with Jesus. And here's where Paul is really taking us ultimately, and this is really important to understand, uh, not just about what needs to change, but especially about what accomplishes change, and it's this. Whatever gets your focus gets you. Whatever gets your focus gets you. Let me give an example. Don't think about pink elephants. And I wonder right now, you thinking about pink elephants? About 10 minutes ago, I mentioned Oreo cookies. Some of you have had an Oreo cookie on your mind ever since that moment in time, 
right? And here's part of the struggle that we say, okay, something needs to change, so here's how you do it. Just say no. And I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember this, but there was an ad campaign when drug abuse was exploding in the early 1980s, and even the first lady of the United States at the time went on TV and said, just say no to drugs. And you know what? It was a, an abysmal failure. Because that's not how change happens. Not with drugs, not with spiritual issues either. And standing toe-to-toe with the things that we're trying to overcome and the things we're trying to leave behind by standing there and trying to duke it out with those things does not work. So, Paul, how do we do it? And what he does in the rest of this section is he changes our focus and doesn't take us to standing toe-to-toe with what brings us down. Instead, he turns us in another direction altogether. Let's go through this quickly here. Replacing abuses with changes in focus. Number one, remember who you are. Remember where you came from, but remember what God has done for you. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And he's referencing something back in chapter 1 when he says that we were taken from a kingdom of darkness and we were put into a kingdom of light. Who did that? Not us. God did that in his power and in his grace. So you don't live at that dark spiritual address anymore. And now he says, so walk as children of light. And walk is a metaphor for light living for how we do life. Walk as children of light for the fruit of life is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Try to discern has the idea of intentionality that we would think about this and we would strategize. How can we do this? We will never coast our way into a stronger relationship with God. It's going to take intentionality. And sometimes we have to go back to the beginning, back to what God has accomplished for us. Oh, that's right. In and of myself, I was part of the kingdom of darkness. God showed up, made me part of the kingdom of light. Remember who you are. Remember how God changed your identity. Then second, as we look at ways in which to engage the culture around us, right? I think this really relates to that. Sometimes we think, well, let's just disengage from culture. There's nothing good there, so let's create this subculture. That's what every cult in the world has ever done, and it gets really scary. And so that's not really an effective way to live out our spiritual life. Assimilate with culture. This means that really there is no discernible difference at all, that it's all one and the same. Another way is to attack our culture and constantly be pointing the finger and talking about what's dark out there. And it's strange to me that we would expect people who have never put hope and trust in Jesus, who have never signed up to follow Jesus, that they would ever live up to the standards of God. That is for the people of God. But I think here's what Paul is saying by walking as children of light. There's another option, and that is to illuminate our culture. And what I think he means by that is that there would be a positive difference in followers of Jesus as they lived out life in a culture. And that more and more of imitating God would be present not for the sake of elevating anyone who's doing that, but instead of pointing in God's direction. Called to live as children of light, to illuminate 
our culture. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for this is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. So how do we expose it, but then don't even speak about it? And again, he's talking about not wagging the finger at the world. He's talking about us, and he's talking about our willingness to talk about the reality of who we are and maybe the help that we need. And then another way to change our focus is to bring our struggle into the light. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I heard a statement many years ago. I don't know who said it first, but it stuck with me. And it says, you're only as sick as your secrets. And the reality about God and our secrets, he already knows them. And I hope and I pray that we would become the kind of community where we can bring the reality about ourselves, but also recognize that there's a God who wants to take us somewhere. And we live in that tension. And then third, regularly gain wisdom, changes our focus. Look carefully then how you walk, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. God, why don't you just say, this is in, this is out, this is in, this is out. Because spiritual maturity actually lives with some discernment and exercises some wisdom. Wisdom is applying truth to real life, right? Intellect is just knowing a bunch of things, but wisdom is making it real and living it out. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, what God wants, what God desires for you. And I don't know if you're like me, I've asked that question. So God, what is that? How do I know the will of God? And I would turn you in the direction of the Bible, which is God's words to us. And in it is everything that we need to live a life of faith and following after Jesus. And there are a number of statements in the Bible that says, and this is the will of God for you. Things like serving and sexual purity and forgiving thanks. And so if we wonder what that is, regularly gain wisdom. Where do I find that? You find that in the wisdom that God has shared with us. And finally, refuel with gratitude. And there are studies that are not a part of life in church that say one of the keys for recovery from all kinds of addiction is gratitude because oftentimes what we are looking for and what we turn to is something that we think we are missing and we will find it there. Gratitude is thankful for what I already have and gets my focus off of what I think that I'm missing. And so here's what Paul says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody into the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Gratitude. And if we ever need, you know, a dose of gratitude, no matter what our life situation might be, think of the before picture and the after picture from God showing up. I was on the slave market of sin. God showed up. Thank you. Kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. God, thank you. Grace and love and power that I don't deserve one bit, but God gave it anyway. God, thank you. Gratitude has a way of changing 
our focus. And what gets your focus gets you. And so if you're looking for ways to imitate the God that has shown up in such dramatic ways, there are some things that don't do that. And there's, those are issues that have been around for a long, long time. So how do we turn in a different direction? How do we change? We change our focus. And we focus on who we are. We focus on what God has done. We're thankful for grace every day. Because every day it's undeserved. But God has given it. We'll catch your focus. Get you. We you bow your heads together with me as I pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for speaking the truth to us, even though sometimes it's hard to hear. But God, help us to know that your intentions are always to lead us forward. And we know that not everything helps us. Not everything is for our good. And so God, may we look to you for the things we need to leave behind. And God, as we seek to change, help us to know that that strength does not exist within us in and of ourselves. And so God, help us to focus on you and all that you've accomplished on our behalf. And may any result of that only bring honor and glory to your name. The God of great grace. Thank you for your love for us, even as we journey in this tension. But God, lead us forward. And my hearts have a deeper and deeper desire to walk closely with you. And we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.